We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. All right, good evening. Uh, as you know, we are in Nehemiah. Um, just kind of a reminder of where we're at. We've gone through all of Ezra and looked at the first two big returns of the people to the land. We saw the rebuilding of the temple. And now we're starting in Nehemiah and looking at the rebuilding of the wall as they uh, try to create protection for the city of Jerusalem. And Chris has walked us through the first two chapters, first looking at uh, Nehemiah learning about the situation and the problem, and then Nehemiah immediately going to prayer, which is a pattern we've seen in both Ezra and Nehemiah, that they are men of action, but first they always pray. Uh, which is, I think, a great lesson for all of us. So we looked at Nehemiah's prayer, and then earlier in chapter 2 last week, we looked at um, Nehemiah presenting his request to the king, getting permission to return, and then the first um, signs of opposition to Nehemiah's project. So you've probably seen these patterns, right? There was opposition to Ezra. There was opposition to the first return. Um, there's always a faithful guy being sent back. It's, it's kind of cyclical. And today we're going to continue that and look at now that Nehemiah has permission to go back, what's he going to do? Okay, what's the next step? Uh, and before we get into the text, I want to share just a quick story as kind of an introduction. Um, I'm a history nerd, as many of you probably know, uh, and I love art and architecture in Italy. So there's a story about a building in Italy I want to share, and I think it'll tie in later on. In the year 1174, a certain town in Italy began to build a new tower for their main church, the Cathedral of Santa Maria Assunta, or the Assumption of St. Mary Cathedral. Okay, have y'all ever heard of St. Mary's? Okay, we'll get to that. Um, They had this grand idea to build a seven-floor huge marble bell tower outside of the church that was going to be the envy of all of Italy. This was going to be the great building project of the 1100s and 1200s. And so they raised money for it, put together a plan for it, and they jumped into work before they really investigated the area and put together a good construction plan. So problems ensued. The first chapter, the first floor went okay. The foundation went okay. The first floor went okay. But once they got to the second floor, the bell tower of St. Mary's started to tilt slightly. Then they built another floor and it tilted even further. And they built another floor and it tilted even further until the point where it's tilting almost five degrees Uh, And that's why you probably know the bell tower of the Cathedral of St. Maria by its other name, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, okay? Well, what happened? Why is this, well, it would have been multi-million dollar project adjusted for inflation, go so terribly wrong? Well, the construction started before they really investigated. They really did a survey. They really kind of examined the soil in particular. And then they just jumped right into work. Their foundation was not right. And so now today, it's still leaning, isn't it? Hasn't fallen. They've added some weights to counterbalance so the poor thing won't fall all the way over. Um, But because they rushed into work, because they didn't have the right kind of foundation, this tower, this supposed to be this great engineering marvel, ends up being kind of a joke, right? Everyone goes there and tries to take a picture of them holding it up, right? So you don't go there saying, what a great marvel of engineering. Uh, you, you go there to get that picture. 
So we want to contrast that with what is Nehemiah going to do? Is he going to immediately start jumping into it? What kind of foundation under my, uh, you know, gives support to his plans and his idea? Um, what is his plan now that he can return and go back? Um, and there'll be three sections to today's sermon. So if you, if you want to keep track of points, I didn't have alliteration this time, so you'll have to bear with me. Uh, we're going to look first at the inspection. He's going to go and survey the territory, inspect it. Uh, then he's going to report to the people. Here's what we need to do. Here's the plan and challenge them to action. And then we're going to see opposition. So just like earlier in chapter two, he, they hear that he's coming and opposition arises. We're going to see that again here at the end of the chapter as the plan comes out. So let's start with the inspection. So Ezra 2 verse 11 So I, Nehemiah, came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So that's uh, verses 11 and 12, chapter 2. So a couple things. First off, notice he doesn't immediately jump right in. Um, Both Ezra and Nehemiah, when they arrive, they take a few days they get adjusted. And I would imagine they're praying the whole time just based on their personality and what the rest of the text tells us that they do. And so he's preparing himself. He's praying, he's getting ready. And then he comes up with a plan. He decides to go at night. Now, how many people have a background in surveying or inspection? Um, What's problematic about going at night? It's hard to see, all right? So what is he planning here? Why is he doing this? Uh, I think there's a couple of things. I think first, he wants to get a plan together completely before he approaches the elders and the officials, okay? Let's get together. Let let me put together some kind of plan. But I think more realistically, he's concerned about opposition. If people see him walking around the walls and looking at the walls, word's gonna get out, right? Right? And we've already seen opposition in the previous verses, right? There were people already looking out for him and ready to challenge his work. And so he goes at night so he has the privacy to be able to examine it, take his time, and to look at the situation. Um, Other things you notice, he only takes a few guys, yet again, wants to keep it quiet, all right, he wants to keep this a secret until he can fully come up with a plan, fully examine everything, and before opposition can really get amassed against him. And he did not want to tell anyone what God was putting into my mind to do. I love this section. Who, what is driving Nehemiah? Is it his desires? Is it his plan? What's leading him to do this? Who's putting it in his mind to do this? God, all right? He is not some maverick out there, you know, with some grand plan of his own. He's doing this because God put it into his mind, literally put it into his heart, his inner core, his desire. He knows God is telling him he needs to do this. God's the one leading his steps. And this is a theme you see all throughout the Bible, right? The true followers of God aren't following their own desires. They're following the will of God. They're following the plans of God. They're not working on their own. 
Um, we just went through Proverbs. I'll just do a couple Proverbs here that follow in this. Proverbs 16, three. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. What's the key to success? Is it my brilliance, my ability? A really cool slideshow when I present my plan? No, what's, what's the secret of success? God, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Proverbs 16, nine, the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Have you ever had moments like that where I had a good plan, I thought it was a great plan, God had a better plan, and I'm very glad he had a better plan. Um, And Nehemiah knows this. This isn't what I want to do, this isn't my plan, this isn't my plan of action. This is what God is leading us to do, all right? And we need to make sure that our plans are according to his ways. Um, Proverbs 19.21, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Yet again, as good as your plan might be, as smart as it may be, ultimately God is the reason for success, right? God is the reason it's successful. Uh, James 4.13-15, a New Testament Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, the Lord wills, we will live, we will, do, we will also do this or that. Nehemiah knows, okay? Best plans of man mean nothing without the support of God unless he is behind it, unless he is the one leading it, unless he is the one putting it into your mind or heart, literally, then it's not going to happen. We need to align our plans with his. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Is that applicable to what Nehemiah is doing here? Unless God is the one who builds this thing, we labor in vain. And we'll see that theme throughout here, okay? We'll see that theme uh, later on when the opposition comes. And he'll point out, you know, it's not my plan, it's, it's God's. If we're gonna be successful, it's because of God. So what's their foundation? It's not that sandy, loose ground like under Pisa. It's God. He's the one that builds it up. He's the one that is the foundation. Um, Verse 13. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and went onto the refuge gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were consumed by fire. So what's the situation here? Do things look good? For this wall project? It's not like a few bricks are missing, right? It's not like there's some minor repairs. It's not like I can um, slap some spackle on it and call it good, right? Or uh, put some caulk and hold it together. There's, it's a major construction project. The very walls are torn down and the gates are consumed by fire. There's a lot of work here. Okay. Yet again, why did Jerusalem fall? Well, it's because the people weren't following God. It's because the people departed from God. And as soon as they do that, what's God going to do? Tear down the wall, burn the gates. So Nehemiah takes, uh, takes a view of what the situation is. He needs to know what, how much destruction there's been. Uh, he needs to make close plans for construction, making a close inspection 
of the situation um, to see what is needed. What is the next steps? What is the next plan? Okay, so if you buy a house, you know, one of the last steps is always the inspection to see how much damage is there? How many problems are in this house? Um, Our house, we had a deck that was right up against our um, study. And so like the bottom four inches of our study wall is all rotted off, okay? Because we didn't inspect close enough to see that damage. And so Nehemiah needs to know to what extent is the situation? Is this something we can take? Uh, Matthew Henry even insisted that the reason he does this is so he does it at night. So if things don't look good, he can leave and don't tell anybody and still look good. I think Matthew Henry's wrong, but I think it's a funny uh, kind of understanding of it. Um, So verse 14, so so he's take full inspection. He's seen the situation. Everything is destroyed. Um, And it gets, it gets even worse. Verse 14, then I passed to the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall and entered the valley gate again and returned. So things get so bad. There's so much rubble, so much destruction. He can't even get his horse through, his animal, his mount, whatever he's riding, donkey. Um, There's so much rubble and destruction that he can't even get through to finish his inspection. And so he has to dismount and then go by foot, which I think shows kind of the dedication Nehemiah has to this project is that he's willing to do the hard work, willing to get on hands and knees and crawl through this thing to see what things are like, um, to make a full inspection uh, throughout the entire ring of the city, okay? So he has to continue by foot. He takes full thing, and then he returns. So that's the inspection. So, so far, what's the situation? Do things look great for Nehemiah's plan? Not too great, okay? There's uh, destruction everywhere. He had to crawl and, you know, go by foot for part of it. Um, But God, right? He knows that there's a bigger God out there. And so he brings his report in verse 16. Okay, so there's the second point after inspection. Report. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate, its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so we will no longer be a reproach. So as mentioned earlier, he wanted to do this investigation by himself first to take full stock of the situation before he came up with a plan and presented it before the elders, the officials, the Jews, the nobles. And so now he's presenting it to them for the first time. And I love what he says here. You know the bad situation we are in. Everyone can see it, right? We have a problem. We have a problem. The walls are destroyed. We have no protection And this looks bad on us, but even more so on God. The city of David is exposed. And so notice he says here, we need to rebuild the walls so we will no longer be a reproach. The walls are a symbol of of God. The walls are a symbol of God's blessing. They came down when the people disobeyed God. They are still down. So what does that communicate to the surrounding people? 
they're not following God, that God isn't protecting them. And so he sees this not necessarily as a building project or even a physical issue or a political issue. No, this is a spiritual one. We need to rebuild these walls, make this city good so that people can come and worship. So that God, that we're not a reproach, that God is not being reviled by the neighbors. We need to fix these things. In this report, you'll see three sub points. First, a sober analysis. You see the bad situation we're in. Jerusalem is desolate. The gates burned by fire. Things are terrible, but there's still time to fix this thing. God has sent, us, sent me here to help. Um, he has put it in our minds to do this. So he is going to make it happen, okay? There is a call to action. Let us rebuild the temple. Let us build the wall. I'm sorry. So you see a sober analysis, call to action, and then the spiritual analysis, verse 18. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. And they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Nehemiah has recognized everything that's happened in his life and in this story up till now is because of who? God. It's not because of Nehemiah and his like special ability to flatter the king or his special relationship, although he had a relationship with the king. No, it's God that providentially set him in his position. It's God that protected him when he approached the king and asked for help. It's God that helped them come back. It's God, right? And so he points to that and he tells them the whole story. In case you doubt, let me tell you what God has done. He gives them their testimony, right? This is what God has done. Let's rejoice. Let's rebuild. Let's go call to action, okay? And he walks them through that entire story. <clears throat> and what's their response? Let's do it, okay? It is obvious God is in this. It is obvious this is God's plan. It's obvious God is using you. Let us arise and build, right? That let us arise. We talked about that in Ezra. It's used often as a challenge to the people of God. It's used in Joshua. It's used early in Ezra. It's used in several places to challenge the people of God to step up and follow God. Be strong, be courageous. Let us arise. Let us build. And so they put their hands to the good work. Uh, love that he added a, an adjective there, right? It's not just work. It's good work. It's work unto God. This is his plan. This is what he wants us to do. God has protected Nehemiah. He's brought us, he brought him here. He now has the money, the resources, the power, the protection in order to build because God. <clears throat> um, the gracious hand of God, uh, also in verse 18, how the hand of my God is also a theme in verse 8, Ezra 7, 9, 8, 18, 20, 21. I mean, there's several places where both Ezra and Nehemiah realize it's not about me, it's about God. And so it's kind of ironic that usually when you see Ezra and Nehemiah in like a, a Bible study or a plan, it's usually the great leadership principles of Ezra, the great planning of Nehemiah, the great strategy of Nehemiah. Now, both of these guys realize that's not what it's about. It's the hand of my God that has been favorable to me. Amen? And as Christians, that's true of all of us, right? 
It's not because of how good I am. It's not because of my abilities. It's not because of my talents. It's not because of my money, wealth, job, position. The hand of my God has been favorable to me. God has helped us. God's plan. God saves us. So we've seen the inspection. We've seen the report. Now we have the response by the people. And finally, the opposition. This happens all the time, right? As soon as the church is standing up, as soon as the church is sharing the gospel, there's always opposition. You see that in the book of Acts. You see that in Christ's ministry. Uh, And so we see the opposition in verse 19. Then when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we are his servants and will rise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Um, so there's the opposition. There's the same, two of the same guys that we saw last week in opposition to Nehemiah coming the first time. Um, Sembala was uh, a governor of Samaria. Uh, Tobiah was probably... Um, uh, a servant of his or a partner of his. And then we have a third guy, Geshem the Arab, that shows up in this one. So the opposition is expanding. It's not just the two, all right? There are more enemies of God joining together to uh, attack the work. And notice how they attack. They mocked us and despised us. Did the enemies of God mock the people of God and despise the people of God? Today is that true, where the people of God are mocked and despised. It's always been true. And instead of you know, addressing the ideas, the theology, anything like that, it's much easier to make fun of the people of God, right? Make fun of Christians. And so that's the tact that they take. That's the way they go about this. They mock them, they insult them. And it's what is going to happen. Right, as Christians is what's going to happen. And then notice the, the main um, attack here. Are you rebelling against the king? So they use politics, okay? Believe it or not, people use politics underhandedly sometimes. And so these guys are going to use politics to try to stop this. They blame Nehemiah, not for being a faithful servant of the king, but instead he's a, a rebel, all right? He's trying to create some kind of revolutionary group. Okay, do we see that elsewhere in the Bible? Yeah, right? What did they accuse Jesus of being? King of the Jews, Pilate. He is trying to incite a riot. He's a rebel. You've got to get rid of him. Um, In Acts, several times, right? Paul is dragged out. He's beat. He's assaulted. He's attacked because he's a threat to the people. Um, He's a threat to the Romans. Uh, The early church, Okay, what was the crime of of being a Christian in their church? Well, it was treason. They're rebels. They won't sacrifice to the emperor. So what's the response? Persecution, killing them, attacking them. And so what these guys are doing is the oldest playbook that the enemy has. Mock them, despise them, insult them, and then accuse them of treason. Go after them. Have the government go after them. Um, and like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a history nerd. And so I, I really study early church, first century church, and how do they respond to all of these things? 
And Tertullian made a really good point. He's like, Christians aren't enemies. Christians aren't rebels. In fact, we're the best citizens you can have. We take care of others. We feed the poor. We bury the dead. We give money to those that need it. Um, and we pray to the emperor for the, to the only God that can actually help him. Instead of killing us, you should be helping us because our God is in control. Um, in our case, this is Tertullian's apology. We pray for the welfare of emperors to the eternal God, the true God, beseeching him on behalf of all emperors. Uh, we ask for long life, undisturbed power, security, brave armies, faithful senate, upright people, a peaceful world, and everything for which a man or Caesar prays. We're not the enemy. We're not the rebels, right? We're the only faithful ones. And that's been the case, right? And the enemy is going to use that and is starting to do that today, right? We see a little bit of echoes of that, of, of mocking, of scorn, of saying, these people are rebels, right? Or these people aren't faithful citizens. And it's something that has always been a struggle for the people of God. So how does Nehemiah respond to this criticism, this opposition? I love, it's a very short response, but it's a very complete response. The God of heaven will give us success. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't try to argue with them. He doesn't try to, you know, negotiate. It's God. You can say whatever you want. You can make fun of me. You can mock me. You can score me. You can say I'm a rebel, but God will give us success. This is not based on my abilities, our resources, you know, the relationship to the king. Instead, God is the one that's in control. And therefore, the end of verse 20, we are his servants and will arise and build. We're compelled to action because we are faithful servants of God. No matter what you throw at us, no matter what accusations, no matter what threat of political action, what kind of mocks, insults, swords, knives, whatever, we have to do this because God has called us to this. And, but you, and he gives them a, a warning here, have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. You are the enemies of God and you will be outside the wall when it is done. All right. You have no portion here among the people of God. <clears throat> so, inspection, Seeing the situation looks pretty dire, but God's bigger than that. The report, here's the situation, guys. Now let's get up and build. And the people respond. And then the opposition. Despite what these guys are threatening, we need to get this thing going. So what are some lessons? What are some final thoughts that we as, as New Testament believers, looking back on the story, can, can glean? What are some application or ways that this could illustrate the Christian life uh, for us. Number one, plan carefully and plan with God. Don't just jump out there. Don't rush into situations. Okay, plan carefully and make sure you're planning with God. Don't base your life, your plans, your actions on your own ability or your, rely on your own knowledge. Okay, plan carefully, plan with God. Nehemiah waited three days. He surveyed the situation. He took time before he even approaches the other Jews to, to challenge them and get them. Um, number two, trust in God's plan, even in the face of opposition. 
is there going to be opposition? All right, as they persecuted Christ, they're gonna persecute his body. There's going to be problems. There's gonna be struggles. There's gonna be temptations. There's gonna be open opposition. There's gonna be not, but trust in God so that you can say confidently like Nehemiah, the God of heaven will give us success. He's the one that, you know, directs us, puts things in our heart, moves us. It's all about him. And then remember Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Trust in God, even in opposition. Finally, uh, kind of tying back to our, our initial story, build on the right foundation. One of the reasons Nehemiah spent so much time is he was investigating the foundation. And for Nehemiah, what is the basis of his um, success, the basis of his plan? It's God, right? God is the one that is the foundation for us. Um, so my challenge to you guys, are you building on that foundation? Do you know Christ? As New Testament believers, our foundation is God. It's Christ and the work of Christ. What does that look like in your heart? Um, this month, the month of September at DBC, we're focusing on evangelism and outreach. And in the evening service, we've continued Nehemiah and Ezra, but Tom's doing a special series on evangelism. And so I highly encourage you to go listen to it and to be challenged. Uh, but we are also called to be like Nehemiah, right? To stand up to opposition, to tell people about God, to be part of that. And as Christians, we have a duty to build something as well. So Nehemiah was called to build a wall, but as Christians, we're called to be a part of a building that's the church. So just like he had something he was helping build up, we as a body are building each other up as well, okay? Um, Ephesians 2, 13 through 22, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ because Christ has died for you. You can now have a relationship with God. Because of the actions of Christ, because of our foundation, you can now have a relationship with God. For he, Christ himself, is our peace who made both groups into one, both Jews and Gentiles, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the laws of the commandments contained in the ordinance, that in himself he might make the two into one um, new man, thus establishing peace. So, not to use the illustration too much, Nehemiah's building a wall, Christ brought down the wall. There's no separation between us and God. There's no separation between us and the other people of God. We're all part of the same body. Um... Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation, of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So Nehemiah was called to build a wall. We are the church being built up together, growing in Christ's likeness, uh, sharing the gospel, bringing others into this temple, uh, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, being built together into a dwelling of God in the Holy Spirit. So my challenge to you is if you don't know Christ, please come talk to one of us afterward. If you do, go share. 
bring them to the morning service. Let them hear the evangelist service. Bring them tonight to the evening service to hear the, the sermons. Share the gospel yourself. Make disciples. We are called to go and build also. All right. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll close down. Lord, just thank you for tonight and for the faithfulness of Nehemiah and his willingness to submit everything to you. His complete dependence on you, his um, actions being directed, informed, shaped um, by you, Lord. I just pray that that's true of us in this room and that we are actively thinking of ways that we can also share the gospel to others, that we can go and make disciples uh, of the nations, that we can also be faithful, relying on your foundation, relying on you for success, but being faithful in what we can be faithful in to build up your body. Lord, just thank you for tonight, for everyone here in your name. Amen.